0: come true melody come true melanin come true melody come true melanin (laughs) hey guys welcome to our podcast called my melanin where we discuss the social determinants of health that affect us black people my name is jade my co-hosts here are dina and muhammad let's dive right into it come true melanin come true melody come true melanin Welcome back, everybody, to My Melanin. Today, we'll be talking about income and social status. What's going on, Muhammad and D? What's going on, brother? What's up? How's everybody doing today?
1: Doing good, bros. It's been a long week, but happy to be here. That's awesome. That's awesome.
0: Uh, so, how did everybody survive the hurricane,
1: bro? I would not. I would not have called that a hurricane, but I'm, I'm not at gonna... all. No. Yeah, for hey. the fans, before
0: it was Hurricane Teddy, aka Hurricane No Show.
2: Yes, yeah, <laughs> it's.
0: But anyways,
1: yeah. no, nope, we were blessed. No cranes fell in Halifax, eh?
2: No, not as far as
0: I know. Yeah. yeah, I I didn't hear anything, but anyways, so how is income and social status seen in the community? What do you guys think about that?
1: I would say, uh. I think you have to separate them, but at the same time you, you can't, I think that like social status will always be tied to, to income in some way, but I don't think the reverse, I don't think that um, income is necessarily tied to social status. And I think when it's dangerous, when you um, when one equals the other, just in terms of setting priorities and, you know, seeing things for what they are. So just in terms of how things are seen in the community, I think, people with higher incomes, which tend to equal higher social status are seen as, um, you know, sometimes leaders, sometimes, you know, the people you want to aspire to be, almost sometimes it can be negative, like it it can be almost detrimental to your own sort of uh, growth.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Mel. I think that, in my opinion, sometimes like perspective of income and social status in the community can be relative to someone's appearance and how they present themselves. I know that in the community I grew up in, it was also kind of relative to where you lived. So there were certain streets where like, there were literally people who like all the single moms or single parents, I should say, or people who only work certain types of jobs. There was like a certain area in Fairview where like everyone of like a certain type of social status lived, which was, relative to their income. It was cheaper to live in that part of the community. And Mm -hmm. that was their social status. And then the more you moved up the street, you know, you had these bigger houses, people who had like more corporate type of jobs, this, that, and the other thing. And so I saw income and social status relative to how you present yourself and where you live in my community growing up.
1: Yeah, I think I would definitely agree as well.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. It's funny you guys say that. Because um, where I grew up uh, in Cape Town, Menenberg, your social and your social status and income is sort of like I, I always remember this one family that was, you know, seemed to appear more "quote unquote" successful or had more money, but lived in a very enough rough uh, neighborhood. So the community saw them as sort of like a stuck, you know, stuck-up family, or a family that thought that they were better than everyone else. And, you know, they would question, why are you here? You shouldn't be in this kind of community if you have this type of money. And then people start to question, you know, what are you doing for the community if you have this amount of money? So I, I found that was a, a big thing that I noticed um, as well in my community. It's like, why, why aren't you doing more for the community if you have X amount of money or X amount of success?
1: And I think it's endearing when somebody can can make it out of a, an area or a community um, that they've kind of grown out of financially and they still stick around, but then you're right. That question does, does come up. I do want to go back to what Dina said though, like of the difference of up the street, down the street. Do you ever felt, do you ever feel like there was um, like a feeling in terms of the people that lived on the, the lower income side that the hope was to move up or like, I would say, like, people grooming their kids to to be better. I know everyone tries to create a better future for their kids, but did you feel like there was a a pull or a push to move up the street as it were?
2: I think I would say for some people, yes. My mom always talked about wanting to get a house in such and such area and this, that, and the other thing. Or if we moved to, like, a a condo building that was closer to the top of the hill that was more upscale – there was like a a certain level of confidence that came because it felt like we were progressing um in that sense socially so um i think for some people yeah they wanted to get to the top of the hill for sure and then for some people they were just kind of content where they were i think it just kind of depends on um your experience growing up and where you come from and maybe what your goals are not everybody wants to buy a house you know mm-hmm. so i guess it just depends but i would say there were definitely some people who wanted to work their way up to the top of the hill for sure
1: for me i like i think i've probably mentioned this in previous episodes but like when we immigrated here i was five super young we grew up in the north end so that was a life i had just in terms of um that was my first experience in canada it was my first community it was my first time just kind of you know honestly being alive i was five years old when we came so when I was 12, we, uh, we moved to the suburbs, you know, mom and dad um, moved up in in their position in life. And all of a sudden, it beca- it's obviously clear to me now, but it was like, before we moved, I guess the stresses were, we were always focused on who had more, how we could get more or moving to the suburbs and all of that. But then when we did, and my parents were in a position where that wasn't really the pull anymore, it was like they could then start focusing on their kids just in terms of like, not that they didn't care about our marks before or anything like that, but it was like, now that we were in a position where they weren't trying to make ends meet, even though life was still, I won't say tough, but it was still work. We had to work after that. It was like, they could more focus on our growth and and our development and, and all that sort of thing. So I think that's a interesting, interesting dynamic.
0: Yeah. So Leading up or or piggybacking off your guys' point, like, do you think we do it to look more appealing? And if so, like, who are we trying to look more appealing to?
1: Yeah, so I think some people do it to just look more appealing to other people, but also I think there's definitely some people that are doing it for themselves, right? And I think even as a community, there's a sense that we want to kind of, I won't necessarily say one-up each other, but we want to impress each other, I would say. The biggest one that I kind of try to, recognizing myself is is am I doing it for what I want people to think or is this something that is actually going to you know further my station
2: I agree with you I think also maybe not so much to be more appealing but to prove something in a sense either to prove that you know you can you can achieve anything you want to prove to your kids that Mm -hmm. Black people can achieve and be on the same level, or at least appear to be on the same level, or you want to prove to the people in your community that it's possible, or maybe you just want to prove to non-Black people that Black people are capable of high social statuses as well, and so I think that plays a big part of it, and I think that we see that in small ways within our own communities. I know I talk about church a lot, but I just think about the ladies in church with the big, like, Crazy hats. Yep. You know, it's very. It can be competitive. Who has the better outfit? Who has the better hat? Who has suits. the bigger hat? And if <laughs> the suits, you know, and it's all related to social status in a sense. You know, people want to be improved um, in that way, and so they they kind of show up and, and show out, and so we see that happening in small ways in our communities. I find, but I do think that there is a sense of wanting to prove um, ourselves, and that we can do it without you know being given a handout by the government or being given a handout uh, by someone from outside of our community that we can do this ourselves
1: mm-hmm. i think one question and one interesting way that um, or i guess the question i could ask is um why like as a community as a whole how do you think um we go about obtaining social status or you know furthering our our income if, if that's our goal like we're not definitely not, not everyone's the same. Not everyone does things the same way. So just uh, how do you guys feel about the different means that we as a community go about, you know, providing for ourselves or for each other or for our future?
2: I think that it has to do with how we define like good or high social status for ourselves in our own community. You know, we have, well, we ask for, you know, black representation in, in different fields because they can relate to us and understand us in a way that other people can't. And so I think that for us to have an idea of what high social status is for our own community, we need to define that for ourselves.
0: That's a great point, Dee. I think also the black community, well, there's a set, there are several ways that a lot of us tend to sort of take a route to up our social status. And in my, from you know, how I grew up was education. Education was a big part of it to sort of increase your social status. But when I attended the Black Men's Health Conference uh, last year, uh, Jason Valancourt, Mr. Jason Valencourt, brought up a great point, which he said, you know, why, why are we trying to look so appealing? Uh, not only to each other and ourselves, but it's mainly also because we seem to do it for, for white people. We want to prove to them that we can achieve the same, you know, success or, you know, the same amount of uh, money as they do.
2: Mm-hmm. So
0: I think that that's also a big thing that I learned from from that part of the conference. But yeah, you know, we also grew up with people who took different routes in terms of increasing their income. Personally, from where I grew up, drug dealing was an easy way to do it, you know, an easy way to show you know the type of social status that you have
1: yeah i i the one, i do want to go back to the education point i definitely can relate in terms of like being kind of told by my parents that education is is will be my key education is the way mm-hmm. um and it's definitely it's definitely been um you know a positive uh road that i took in my life is by going to school and and by uh, by doing that but i think when you look at the overall uh, situation, especially when you look at some of the studies that that have done that have been done, it doesn't matter. Like I, I can relate to, or I can say um, a story where I was in in high school and uh, having this um, conversation with my guidance counselor, who I think I was in grade ten, supposed to be the person that guides you on the path. And I told her that I wanted to do medicine and my science classes weren't strong i wasn't good you know um in the classes you need but i was also in grade 10 all you needed to i feel like if i was if the message had been work harder apply yourself um things would have been different she completely steered me away from that uh and it kind of reminds me of uh, a scene in the malcolm x autobiography where he talks about being a really young kid and he was living with um this white foster family in a white neighborhood white community and this is back before civil rights, um, before the whole civil rights movement in the States. And he was the smartest kid in his class, and he was the only black kid. Um, and he's having a one-on-one with his teacher, and he tells his teacher he wants to be a lawyer. And he has top marks in the class. There's no reason why he wouldn't be intellectually or at any level. Um, and the guy, the the teacher basically tells him, you know, you're not smart enough. You're better off as a carpenter working with your hands. So I don't think the message is that abrupt in today's time but i think it's still it's still there in the in the sense that like i i think at a young age we're steered away from even being able to think that we can get there and there's few of us that break through there's that cap. obviously we're
0: yeah. given this cap that we don't yeah. seem to be told to pass or we can't pass sorry is yeah. what i should say
1: and even like uh there's the report that we were discussing just about race disparity in American colleges. And it's crazy that we got to use American stats because we don't have anything like that in Canada to to quantify or to, you know, follow what the trends are. But being, you know, the country most similar to us, there's a huge gap and it's for no reason in the sense of the numbers of college, um, college graduates that are black, the number of post college graduates that are black. It's not, yeah, it's, it doesn't make sense. So
2: Kind of going off your point of education, I was as you were talking, I was thinking about what do we tell ourselves or what have we been taught as black people? And there always seems to be this narrative of we have to work our way up to obtain certain things. And it seems that for white people, they already have this mindset of they own wealth already. And it's why are we taught that we have to work hard to obtain something if white people are, are being taught as children, that they already have it. And so, you know, what narrative is is being fed to us? And I think that that narrative has been fed to our community for a long time. And while you see, you see so many Black women, especially, enrolled in college, and then, you know, they're working hard, working hard. And I might have the same degree as, you know, a white woman, but she's getting a, a higher level paying job than I am, even though she's still getting paid less than men. Mm-hmm. or white men, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I just yeah. it just seems like there's always this narrative of we have to work ten times harder. I remember seeing something about um Michelle Obama and how, you know, would she have been perceived as being worthy of being a first lady if she didn't have the degrees, if she didn't have this, that and the other thing. Whereas like what did the other first ladies have? Not half mm-hmm. of the amount of education, this, that and the other thing, right? And so it just seems like there's this narrative of we have to work 10 times harder to obtain higher social status and it just seems like it's almost never attainable but then non-black people already have this mindset of why why wouldn't i be able to have this it's already mine it's you know like i see wealth all around me of course i can have it and so there just seems to be something that we're being taught there's one thing about what we're being taught and being told in school but also what we're being told through like media and through what. You know the world tries to feed tries to feed us in terms of mm-hmm. how you should perceive ourselves.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, D. You know, and even looking at you know, I'm trying to get into med school and stuff, and and just even looking at the statistics of black students that do get into med school, but people don't realize how many black students drop out of med school mm-hmm. and, and why. And you have to ask, you know, why is that happening? And and you know, talking to a few students, it's because they felt they didn't have as much resources as you know other students had. Um, the other the other point that I was just thinking about was how and why why have we started from so far behind everyone else? Why is it that we have to prove ourselves in a sense to to make you comfortable? So I had a good conversation uh, with one of my best friends and physio, Crede. Uh, uh, just a short conversation. He brought up today that he had a, a patient come in and was questioning everything about him. Like, she basically asked him, what are your credentials? Where did you go to school? How long have you been doing this? And so on and so forth. And you have to ask yourself, you know, why do people feel the need to to ask these questions? And by the way, Krede works in the hospital. There's You obviously need some form of credential or you just need yeah no way it's just just showing up there no ways ways
1: and it's uh one thing i learned this year is is just like how in terms of learning med in med school everything revolves around the white body so like even when it comes to treating like let's say skin diseases on black people many doctors aren't even able to recognize what it looks like, for example, what a, a tick bite or what whatever looks like on a black person's skin, because you're not taught in, at that level what different rashes look on different people and things like that. So I think like, and that's something that I'm learning this year in terms of like, as I learn about things in my life, which blew my mind. Um, so I think that the, that kind of speaks to Jade, your, your point of, wow. um, how many black students drop out. Yeah. I mean, mean, it'd be taxing, man. It'd be so like, it would be so taxing. You know, you already work so hard to get to that point. And the, the whole kind of, I would say foundation you're built off, or you're working off of doesn't even support or can't
0: take care of you. Exactly. I agree with you. I mean, there are studies out there and beliefs out there that black people have thicker skin so therefore, their pain tolerance is higher. Which yeah, man. When that, I heard that, that was I was sense. like, "What, bro?" It was it was it was wild to me. Wild.
2: Yeah. What's crazy is I was doing this like seminar with uh, Dr. Dryden and uh, Dr. Barb Hamilton, just talking about Black health. And there are so many medical procedures that have been created that we use um, today. the hospitals that regular procedures that were tested out on black people and a lot of them were tested on black women and they were actually very hurtful very painful they caused a lot of like trauma to the body um for these Mm -hmm. black women and people still use them and they teach the same procedures in medical schools today so Mm -hmm. what people are being taught to do in terms of health care it's not okay yeah stuff you know
1: yeah i definitely think uh I think we deviated, but back to the point of all this, this is kind of why, especially when we talk about like, you know, black people getting into spaces like med school and in medicine, why they drop out, you know what I mean? It's like why people don't see these things through because at some point it it almost seems pointless. I kind of want to go back to, uh, to what you were saying, Dee, about wealth. and, And I think, Jade, you mentioned it too. Um, why do we always feel like we, we have to kind of like start from the bottom or like, why do we feel like, we're already at a disadvantage. Um, and one thing that I think about all the time is inheritance. So like as an immigrant, the last, I would say six years of my life, I've been, you know, around inheritance. I took a lot, a few law courses where I learned how to, the law works around that. And I realized that when that time comes for me, I hope it's forever away. I, like my parents won't have much. Right. And I don't have grandparents or great grandparents or anything like that in terms of uh, uh, inheritance and a linear and the most obvious easy access to wealth. And when we talk about indigenous black people to to Nova Scotia or even North America, at every point that black people were ready to settle down and build, we literally weren't allowed. So, right. When you have situations like what happens in Africville, how are you supposed to have? generations that can build on what the previous generations did when at every point of success, it's literally snatched away. So I think that's why we, we have a generation now, our age where um, people are really starting to get to certain places in life. And it'll be great to see in two generations, what Nova Scotia and, and black people in, in Atlanta, Canada look like. Um, but I think that offers a little bit of a reason for why for us, like, why do we feel like we're starting over when our parents felt like they started over when our grandparents felt like they were the ones starting over, so, yeah.
2: Yeah, I I totally know what you mean, Mo. Um, that's a very good question of, you know, why do we feel that way and why do we feel like we're starting over? I think now that so much education has been made public, just about multiple streams of income and what does that look like? I will say that as an entrepreneur... <laughs> A lot of people think that because I have my own business that I'm rich now,
0: <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm
2: not. And, you know, <laughs> we need to be honest about the journey. And, yeah. and you know, you have to invest, like, for a while before you actually see the return on the investment. And exactly. even though the return will be greater than what you've invested, you're going to spend some time, you know,
1: Yeah.
2: you know, paying, it, paying on some things. You know what I mean?
0: Isn't there a time frame? Like, isn't it, like, three years to your business become successful when you're starting a business or something like that but anyways I I heard I think it's like something like the first
1: five years yeah it's like a two to five year
2: yeah it's like a two to five year window depending on you know there's different factors but you know not you know you can't just think that you you can be an entrepreneur and then you're just gonna be like rolling in the dough because mm-hmm. I still live at home with my parents. So there's that, you know. If that mm-hmm. was the case, I would have my own crib. I mean,
1: honestly you know? though, I I'm j- like, yeah, you're saving money. Like, I've, that's the other thing about like that's the dilemma that I think no no generation previous to us has had is like honestly moving home is like the smart decision. It's not a, it's not like I don't yeah.
2: But then at the same time, it's like you know. For some people, I know people who are like this who they aren't gonna know how to be smart with their money until they're in yeah. a position where they have to pay for things. Yeah. And so sometimes people have to move out and have to pay bills and mm-hmm. this that and the other thing to really get a sense of what it is what does it mean to create a budget and this that and the other thing, which speaks to financial literacy, which is something that lacks in our community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because we weren't really taught those skills many, many years ago because it would have prevented us from being, you know, we couldn't Flourish. we couldn't stay slaves. Yeah. We couldn't continue to be slaves if we knew how to manage money and make money, you know, knowing how to read and things like that. These are things that people prohibited us from actually having access to and learning mm-hmm. how to do so that we could remain dependent on the systems that they set up for themselves to succeed at the end of the day. So yeah. there's it's all relative.
0: So true and to to your point mohammed like why do we start sort of from from behind i think it's also because like if we compare black people to you know to white people if they if somebody started in the exact sort of same position as we do as we have financially let's just say financially like cuz you had brought up your you know your ancestors were you know started off from a rough uh, beginning even then if 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 i compare myself to someone who is white you know the same sort of in you know social status or income or whatever that individual is still ahead of me when it comes oh, no.
1: to no 100% 100% i i agree but i like i think my point is um the point i was trying to make was that even the poorest of the poor white person starting at the same spot as you let's say makes the same steps goes the same road will end up further i'm talking about on the on the on the wider scale right like the reason why Like if if I feel like, for example, if Africville, if Black Wall Street and Tulsa in the States, if places like this that were all over the United States and and Canada, if they were just left alone and allowed to thrive, you'd have now third, fourth, fifth generations of people who understand financial literacy. Right. Every time we've done that, though, in every example, it literally think like things literally burn down. Yeah. And not by our things literally get get trampled over yeah people have to start over so i, I agree with you 100 percent. but i think i'm making a different point in the sense that like i feel like that's why every generation kind of feels this idea or this this sentiment that i got to build something for my
0: 100 you know, percent for my
1: family and my like my uh yeah. yeah
0: so uh switching gears here a little bit um how do you think income and social status relates to stereotypes what are your what's your your take on that
1: um. Well, you gotta elaborate.
0: So, how are you sort of perceived, like within your community or outside the community? You know, how do how does stereotype come into play? Like, so for example, like when we talk to Jason Valancourt, you know, a stereotype in the community is that we want to perceive or or basically show ourselves as being flashy. Um, you know, he says a great quote. He said, "You can tell a lot." about a person by what's in uh, his or her closet and he's been into people's houses and said let me take a look at your closet and you know people who are struggling financially and he would just say let me go into your closet and and see what's going on anyways these people would have a ridiculous amount of Mm -hmm. clothes and sneakers and that and i think there's a stereotype that in my opinion, that carries within our community, along with outside our community as well.
1: Yeah, I think the the stereotype, like that's the thing. I think once there's a, an idea that once you have money, you have to let everybody know, and like right, Dina made the point of with, with regards to opening up a business, running her business, investing. I think that's a that's something that. As just in general, we don't value, I would say, or I haven't seen valued in as a whole, just investing time, investing money, Mm -hmm. the idea of um, putting something away. And that's something that I honestly, I'm getting better at and learning in terms of my own, my own journey. But yeah.
2: I think speaking to that also kind of going back to what I said earlier about how, you know, where people lived in my community, you know, top of the hill versus the bottom of the hill. There were people with particular labels. I won't say, but there was this one street, and it was like if you lived on this street, everyone like knew your business. I don't know. There was always some sort of label that went with like what type of lifestyle you had. If you lived on like one of these two streets, like it was, it was interesting the kind of stereotypes that people would come up with. Um,
1: Did those have to do like were were both sides of the street like same level of income, same level of social status in terms of the the people that lived there?
2: Um, it depended. We've, I mean, there are people who... That's tough who, to say. Yeah, like, you know, there are people who were living on income assistance and there were people mm-hmm. who had minimum wage jobs. But There were also people who were working in management and this, that, and the other thing. So it kind of depended. But I mean, sometimes you also stay where you are so you can save more money. You know, people want to pay where rent isn't too expensive so that mm-hmm. they can save more and then maybe they want to invest in something down the road. It all kind of depends on intention, but I think, to income status and stereotypes, like you said, people kind of want to show off, like being flashy and things like that. And when you see people making money and they want to wear expensive clothes and, and all this jewelry and this, that, and the other thing, and you kind of see it's funny because sometimes it's, it's glorified to Black people, especially Black men. You see a lot in the media, the grills, the big chain this, that, and the other thing, the car, the girls, what have mm-hmm. you, this, that, and the other thing. And it's always associated with money. Oh, I got a lot of money, so these girls love me. This, <laughs> that, and the other thing. I'm not a rapper, uh-huh. but that's what they say. I mean, I
0: was, was you know going mean? to say, keep <laughs> going, keep going.
2: Burst, burst, burst. Burst. So, like, you know, it's always, and then it goes with the stereotype. And this this looks good to us because we see us in this state, you know, in the media. <laughs> But then white people are saying you're thugs if you look like this. And so what we see as money and higher income status and social status is what non-black people are seeing as negative and seeing as being thugs or being ratchet and this, that, and the other thing. Yeah. And so they're feeding us an image that we think leads to success when it leads to a negative stereotype from yeah. other people. So I find it very interesting. It's a loose It is, <laughs> you know, and sometimes we don't see that until we get caught up in it.
0: And when yeah. we don't do those things, let's say we don't get into the whole flashy thing. You know what the quote is, right? You're not black enough. And I've heard that so many times. Or I
1: would I would I would say you don't dress black. Like I don't I don't think it comes like it don't come, it doesn't come off that aggressive, but I definitely have like you don't dress black or why why do you dress like that or like why do you dress like a white guy?
0: Do you know how many times I've been asked the question, do you own Jordans? Oh, yeah, that I mean, but do it's you though? Know? In that's, that's, that's not a, that's not a <laughs> but, conversation. But do you, though? I do, I do, but not bro, enough.
1: everybody owes Jordans, but I, I, I agree with you. I know but what you know what mean, I'm saying? I know what you mean, yeah.
0: Bro. Anyways, Mo, this question for you, fam. I need my 22s. So, Muhammad likes to talk about stats. So, Fixed how are we... Big that guy. How are we using American stats, but share the same experiences in terms of, like, you know, lack of a better word, you know, race. Based data.
1: I think we, well, what like, what choice do we have? I think when you look at our societies, I think we definitely, as a Canadian society, I think our aggressions, transgressions, microaggressions um, aren't as in your face as the, as the American flavor. But I think they're still there. Both countries were built on the same ideals. Everything is more or less the same. So I think when you look at what's happening there, obviously, the the one um, uh, I think I might have referenced it in this in this podcast or before, but talking about the wealth gap in Canada and how it's it's literally you can see it's split along lines of race. That's how wealth is divided. More black men work after the age of 55, which means that more black men are not retiring when they're supposed to or when everybody else is and, and are working longer. So. And that's the that's the Canadian stats. They and I, let me just pull it up. It's uh, it was from the Canadian Center of Policy Alternatives. Um, and they're the ones that did this wealth report. But they referenced that even for them, they had to kind of start their research where the American stats started or where the American reports came from. Um, and they called for Stats Canada to include more of that race based questioning to kind of hone down exactly where the lines are drawn. But yeah I think they're the closest they're the closest thing to us as a society as a country just how they operate okay,
0: so that was and my next question is like do you think we're that we're that close to the American experience as uh,
1: honestly, I think this last year, and obviously the negative the negative is louder than anything positive, but this last year has been has made me feel like yeah, we're a lot closer i think you, I would say if you were to ask me years ago, I would be like no, like we're Canadian, they're American. But now just seeing how things are playing out there and then seeing how there's almost similar things playing out here, obviously, again, not to the scale. I think we are very, very much like very similar to them in a lot of ways. We would don't want to admit.
2: 100%.
1: Yeah.
2: I would agree too with that point. I remember when I was a kid, I don't remember how old I was, but I saw the movie Mississippi Burning. I don't know if anyone has seen that movie.
0: Oh, that's very uh, intense. uh, Wow. That is very
2: intense film. I saw it when I was Like, like, I don't know.
0: From the get go.
2: It's crazy, right? And I knew that it was, you know, about racism and this, that and the other thing. And I knew that it was something that existed here, but it didn't really hit me how close we were to America in that sense until... It was, I don't even know how many years ago now, but somebody had like a cross burn on their yard in like the South Shore ish area of Nova Scotia. I remember. Was, I was yes. Yeah, no, no,
1: no. It was, we were younger. Like, it was, I remember it was like. Oh, yes. I do know exactly. It was like, I
2: remember how I was in junior high for sure. Yes,
1: same. I think I'm it was do the a same. Quick search. Yeah.
2: And I was like, no. what? This is crazy. I only hear about this stuff happening in, the, in States. the States.
1: Yeah. What's crazy, I think, and again, I, I always forget what I mentioned in past episodes, but the first race riots in Canada were in Shelburne, Nova Scotia mm-hmm. between black loyalists who escaped uh, the States to escape, slave, escape slavery with the British against the local just white people that have lived there. I think they were, I can't, I think they were British as well, but they just did not want the black people there. So, and then they wanted to kind of, I think they wanted slavery. I'm not a hundred percent sure. You got to fact check me on that. But yeah, the first race riots in Canada happened in Nova Scotia. So like, we're not, we're not that, that far different. off. We're not. I that mean,
0: far. I just did a quick search on that article. It was in 2010. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, 10 years ago. That's crazy.
0: And what happened recently in um in Bri- Was it Bridgewater with the noose? Oh.
2: Oh. What?
0: While the family yeah, was there camping, was, uh,
2: there was a family
1: camping on a beach and. Uh, from the road that you could see from the beach there was a car pulled up and these guys hopped out and like either hung a noose from a nearby tree like while the family was watching or like yeah. waved it waved it and then drove away and yeah so wow. i think i saw on, i saw online that there was a big outpouring of support where like the next week um a big group of people went to the same beach and like
0: yes were, i did hear
1: you about know that. with the family to show like you know you're not alone and we're here to support yeah. you mm-hmm. you can be wherever you want without without uh being scared so yeah but and again this was this that's this year that's this you know 2020 that's
0: happening that's crazy
1: yeah so i mean at the end of the day like the things the only things that we could do and part of the reason why we started this is to change the narrative i think again like i don't know if if previous generations had uh the opportunity or the resources or the access to some of the things that we we do in relation or in regards to getting this information out or informing people or informing ourselves so
2: i think i think now mo kind of adding to that point i don't know if they've had the opportunity to kind of create that generational wealth but i think that for some people at least in my parents generation they're trying to now you know they're realizing before i'm gone i want to leave something for my Mm -hmm. kids Mm -hmm. um we see this with people trying to get the deeds to their land and this, that, and the other thing, something to hold on to that they can pass down. And so I think that it's, it's happening in the older generation, but I think that there's a really good grip on that being a goal for a lot of people in our generation. I have a lot of conversations about how to create generational wealth yeah. and things like that. So.
1: But like I think the status, the saddest part of it to me is I think like these were probably conversations that were being had by black people in Nova Scotia a hundred years ago. Right. And for reasons out of their control, weren't able to kind of realize those those goals. And obviously, I don't think I think obviously we we live in a different time. So it's good to see like. But that's the thing, again, like more men over 55 that are black work are still working than than any other race. Right. And that's this this generation, like you said, our parents realizing that they kind of have to work later longer just to leave something for us. Yeah. Which I think that sort of that sort of work will or work I think definitely will trickle down to us and 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 further, so sure. I think there's definitely light at the end of the road,
2: oh for sure, yeah,
0: well guys, that leads us to the end of today's beautiful conversation, I think for all of us to see is uh see the light and make sure you leave something for your kids.
2: their kids and their kids and their kids no pressure no 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 there's pressure
0: put the pressure on a little
2: you know we can make change you know so
0: that's what i'm talking
2: about i make the shift
0: time to make the change the shift we like to thank everyone for listening today we hope you enjoyed today's episode but before we wrap up i'd like to say a shout out to our sponsors the production team Cohen McDonald for creating our logos and Charles C. Ruth for our music. If you haven't already, subscribe to our socials to keep up with us, your hosts, and all things podcasts. Uh, and see you next episode. Come true melody, come true melody,
2: come true melody.